Okay, I have to apologize. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I Googled to see what I could find on first world problem stuff. And, uh, and when they said the shut the full cup, I didn't get it until just now. <laughs> so, apologize. That's not lo- normal. I'm like, glass half empty. That must have to be something to do with that. If you've been around here for a while, this won't be the last time. Um, we don't have editors, and, uh, and uh, sometimes things get passed. So a new inside joke for us. Here's a full cup. Well, um, we started... We'll have to talk between services what we do about that. Um, anyway, the, um, we started a series last week. We started a series last week. On, uh, on, on, on how to be rich and talking about what the Bible says about how to be rich. The Bible doesn't say much about how to get rich, but the Bible does say, how, what, what do you do if you are rich? And one of the things that we looked at last week was how if you're making at least $37,000 a year, you are among the world's top uh, income producers. You're in the top 4% of income producers in the world if you're making 37000 a year or more. So so we realize this, this is, when the Bible speaks to rich people, it's speaking to a whole lot of us because the average income in, this na- in these neighborhoods is, is more than that. So, so if you do fit in the category of rich, how, what does the Bible have to say to, to those of us making 37000 or, or more? We have a lot to cover today. Hopefully there will be no more um, <laughs> jokes that I didn't catch the first time around. Uh, but let's turn to our Bibles. Oh, man. First Timothy, we needed some cleansing thoughts here today. Uh, let's start here. Uh, this is uh, First Timothy. It's an ancient letter that we have recorded for us here in, the, in what we now call the Bible. This is uh, First Timothy, starting in chapter 6 with verse 6. And this is a passage we looked at last week. We'll kind of get a running start here today. Wow. All right. Now, it says, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food or clothing with these, we will be content. This is a passage we looked at last week, this idea of, of godliness with contentment. For those of you who are note-takers, why don't you pull out your little green sheet, and I encourage you to write this down. This is the big idea from last week, and one that we want to continue to build on as the series continues. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. And one of the things that's so helpful as I look out at you and I think about the conversations that a lot of us have had, it's so encouraging that I see an increasing number of people who are applying this principle in their lives. And that's so exciting to me. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how many people. I wish I would have had more time. I could have talked to some of you. Maybe had you come up here and share some of the stories. Um, there are more and more people here at a church that are refusing to buy into the lie that new is always improved, that more is always better. People who are becoming content more content. We, there are people in our church that have intentionally bought smaller houses than they can afford. They did that on purpose. Not because they don't like nicer things, but because they believe this to be true. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I know so many people who are buying so fewer things, they're buying fewer things than maybe they think they would want to, at least part of them would want to, and they're doing that on purpose. They're living beneath their means because they're discovering godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a growing number of people who are refusing to buy the lie that a screen that's 20 inches bigger, a TV screen 20 inches bigger, 10% brighter, 2 inches thinner, that it's going to make you more content. 
There's some people who like those things, some people that are buying those things, but they're refusing to believe it's going to make me more content. They know it won't. They, know, they say, okay, I like it, but it won't make me more content. They're refusing to buy that lie. They're not driven by a belief that I need this to become more content. I know several Christians um, who have cut cable and satellite TV altogether. And some of them, when I've talked, they said, you know, this actually it took us a detox period. We got through the detox period. Our kids are more content. They're not asking for every toy because they don't know they exist unless they go to Target, you know? They, they're not asking for everything. We actually are spending time as a family. Our attention spans have increased. So there's some people that have said, hey, this is better for us. We're more content with that, without that than we were with needing more channels. I'll be more content if I have more channels. We're finding the people that are discovering the opposite. I'm also so proud, so proud of some of our younger couples who got out of college, they had debt, and they've been ruthlessly eliminating it. Ruthlessly. They said, we're not going to just keep living at a lifestyle that all our friends are. We are going to make big cuts, get rid of this debt so that we can have freedom. Oh, so proud of those folks. So proud of those folks. And it's fun. Um, almost, right, this has been an interesting season. Almost every other week, someone's been recommending a book to me along these topics. Um, I just finished this one. Dan uh, Nimlas recommended a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Great book. The, the, ultimately, this book is about becoming more content and not chasing after these false gods. Um, I'm in a small group. We're, we're going through a book called Crazy Love, which speaks to a lot of this stuff. A lot of you have recommended this book to me before. I haven't had a chance to read this one yet, but people have recommended this book, Radical. I just got a big thumbs up and a nod. from some, couple, Two thumbs up. Three. Do I hear five? A bunch of, this is great. We have a whole bunch of people who are recommending this book. There's one I forgot to bring with me. I just ordered it from Amazon 7. A number of people have read a book called 7, not the movie Seven, which was pretty nasty. But, uh, but there's a book called Seven. It's, again, about simplifying your life. Um, we've recommended before a book called Hol The Hole in Our Gospel. This book about, about, as Christians, one of these big things that we're missing. And then pretty much anything by Dave Ramsey. Um, people recommend this stuff. We have a group right now that's going through his stuff. The, the, the point in these books is, in, I guess my point that I'm trying to make is there's so many people in our congregation who are saying, hey, there's a new life out there that people can have. We re recommend books like this. We recommend we teach each other stuff about this so that we can be more content as a people and more content by enjoying and savoring the things that God's already blessed us with rather than thinking we're going to be more content if we just keep accumulating more and more and more. We have a number of people in our church who are coming to the realization, if they're not already there, that if you're not content now, you won't be then. If you aren't content right now, you're not going to be content with a little bit more. And, 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 and they want, these, these people, they want others to experience this. They, they, they look out and they see their friends. And they see their friends who are stressing to pay bills that weren't necessary. And they see that and they say, we don't want that. We don't want that for our friends. They watch other people that they know in vain are trying to project an image. They're living a lifestyle that is unsustainable. And, 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 and they know that, but they feel like, I have to have this image, you know, that I'm projecting. And they say, oh, we're not going to buy into that. We don't want that for us, for others. Um, these are people who, they shake their head at a culture that is increasingly possessed by their possessions. And they say, there's another type of life. So I'm excited when I look out 
that so many of you are already there. So for some of you, this is just going to be an affirmation of those things. For others, I hope you're challenged today to consider this principle of, of godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is certainly a path that Jesus wants to lead us on that is very different than the direction that the world wants to take us. Well, deep down, everyone wants that. Deep down, everybody in this room, whether you consciously get, have that or not, deep down, everybody wants to get to a place where, oh, I'm content. I'm content. And by content, I don't mean that you're, you're lazy, not working hard, not productive. The Bible has strong things to say, especially in the book of Proverbs, about people who are lazy, not productive. This isn't about that. This is about a contentment that says, you know what? If I'm doing what God has me to do, the godliness piece, I can be content wherever he leads me, with whatever he places in my path, whether it's abundance or whether it's, it's simple. I can, if I have food, if I'm clothing, I'm fine. I'm content. Um, what we want to avoid is, uh, here's a picture. My, my girls went through a high school musical phase. How many of you have seen at least one of the, you can admit it, this is church, right? Um, one of the high school musicals, there's this character, Sharpay, and she embodies this idea of not content. Everything has to be fabulous. And, and when our girls are watching this, every once in a while, I'd say, hey, girls, you don't want to be a Sharpay. You don't want to be one of these people who just, you have to have more, you have to have better. And then when you get that, you're still not content. Uh, we don't, we want to avoid that. So how do we get on a different path? And then how do we stay on a different path? That's what we're going to spend a little bit of time here with today. So again, if you could take out your green note page, let's, uh, let's, let's dig into this. In a culture like ours, and sorry, there's a typo in your notes. Um, uh, <laughs> I had a couple mistakes here today. It should read as you see on the screen here. Uh, in a culture like ours, how do we cultivate contentment? In a culture like the one we live in, how do we cultivate this idea of contentment? Here's one. This isn't going to come as a surprise. Ask God. Ask him. Ask him for help in this. Sometimes the obvious things, we forget about that. You know, Ask him. He, he wants you to become more content. Let's start there. Have you ever asked God for a new heart and a new mind, one that is more content? It all begins there. If you're like almost anyone else who's ever lived, your heart, your mind, they're telling you that having more and better things are going to make you more content. God wants you to give you a new heart, new mind that, that tells you the truth. So ask him. You know, come to him humbly. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for believing these lies. I come to you now and I ask you for a new heart and new mind that's more content. Uh, now, here's an important thing that I want to build on this idea. I'm going to put this on the screen. You can write it down if you want, but it builds on this idea here of asking God for a new heart. This is so important. Here's where a lot of Christians get way too mystical, way too mystical, instead of being practical. Like the rest of our physical bodies, new hearts, new minds are affected by the world around us. It's, it's, it's interesting how Christians can compartmentalize certain things. For instance, let's say um, for the first time in 15 years or so, I'm, I'm committing to, to running a race. I'm going to get in and I'm going to run a little 5K. And so I haven't done this in 15 years or more, totally out of shape. If I just showed up at the starting line, having prayed really hard, is, is, that, is that wise? Is that, that doesn't even make sense, does it? You know, dear God, I've got this, this, this thing. I want to be able to run a certain time in April. Would you please, between now and then, you know, increase my lung capacity and my muscles and all this kind of stuff so that I can run that race at that time then? Nobody, right? Nobody does that. Just prays and then doesn't train, Right? Nobody does that. But yet on things like contentment, Christians sometimes will say, God, make me a more content person. 
but then won't engage in any behaviors that are, are going to be beneficial to that. Does that make sense? There's certain times we do that. There's certain things we pray and only pray. There's other things where, we, sure, we might pr- pray, but we also then do something, too, that would help, right? And I would, I would say contentment is one of those things. You bet. Pray. We put it up there as number one. Pray for God to give you a new heart and new mind. And then engage in God-honoring practices that will help that. For instance, watching less TV. You know, I, I think about the political ads. How many of you are so glad political ads are done? Oh, absolutely. I am so glad they're done. This candidate hates kids and seniors and your country, but vote for me because I don't. You know, it's just like, what is this? I'm so glad that they're done. But then the thought occurred to me as I've been thinking about these messages, what have they been replaced with? What were those commercials replaced with? By this. Yeah, they're replaced instead of commercials that got you hating on the other candidate. Now they're replaced with commercials that get you hating on your life. You know, you don't want your life. You want the life that is, you know, if you make hamburger helper, your whole family comes around the table and they're all loving on each other. You don't want to do whatever you're planning for supper. You want hamburger helper or you want this new phone because your phone, if you have the old phone, oh my word. You know, and so these new commercials, you know, as much as we hated the political ads, they're probably better for us than the stuff they're being replaced with. So there's practical things like that, that that we could do. But let me give you um, a a scripture that that I think kind of sums it up well. This is one of my favorite, favorite verses now. I love this verse. Nehemiah 4.9. We pray to our God and we post to the guard. Isn't that great? As Dwayne might say, this is a good Bible. That's a good Bible. I heard you say that in a small group. Somebody said, I love that line. That's a good Bible. That's a good Bible. We prayed and we posted a guard. We prayed, and we posted a guard. So let's talk about a posting a guard thing. Pray for contentment, and then, number two on your list, pray for it. And then here, of all the things I would suggest that would be the most helpful if you want to become more content, right here, experience extreme poverty firsthand. If you want to become more content with what you have, I can't think of anything that's going to have a greater impact than experiencing extreme poverty firsthand. There's a pastor that I respect. His name is Bill Hybels. Well, I respect a number of pastors, but he's one of them. Um, and he was teaching on poverty to his church. And he was taking up a special collection then for some of their partners around the world. And as, um, as they were going through this series and taking up these collections, he got feedback. And here's, here's some feedback he received from, from one man. One man said this. He said, hey, I'm still gainfully employed, but I haven't received a cost of living adjustment or a wage increase in more than 18 months. It is ridiculous to take money from our church and give it to people in another country when there are so many real needs right here at home. That guy needs to expand his little world. He needs to expand his little world. You know, if, if you were in here, many of you were here, there was a, a banquet, uh, an auction for one of our ministry partners last night, right in this room, Ace Hoops. And, and Tim Anderson was just sharing this story, and I'll condense it, but he was sharing this story. If he went to South Africa, and he saw this little kid begging, little seven-year-old boy begging, and, and he was with somebody that he was partnering with in South Africa. And so she talked to the kid, and she said, where do you live? Can you find 
can you bring us to your house? The kid brings him to this house. There's all kinds of crying going on inside. Knock on the door. A woman opens the door. She's got you know kids all over the place. And, and this woman says, is this, does he live here? Does this, this kid live here? And they say, yeah. And, and, and so this person Tim was with said, can you tell me why this seven-year-old is a mile and a half and away begging for food? And this woman replies. She says, well, his parents are both dead. And, and these are the kids. I'm the aunt. And my husband is lying in the room there, and he's dying, and I've got kids of my own. And so I had to tell him, you need to go out and take care of yourself. You know, unless you've seen that type of thing, or when you see that type of thing, all of a sudden, okay, I haven't gotten a raise in 18 months. It puts it in perspective, doesn't it? It puts it in perspective. And that's all we're talking about here. I'm not trying to minimize the economic hardships here in the United States. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying, I care enough to say, I don't want to minimize that, but I also want to make sure we put things in perspective. And that's one of the things that this idea of, of experiencing extreme poverty does. It puts things in perspective. Are there real needs right here at home? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, about every week now, we get a phone call at church, um, at the office. And about every week, we get a phone call from somebody. Usually it's a cold call um, saying, hey, do you guys help with rent? Do you help with this? Do you help with this? Do you help with this? Are there real needs? Absolutely. There are real needs right here at home. But what most Americans can't fathom is how different their situation is from watching kids, your kids, die from starvation. How different what we're experiencing is, most of us, is from that. Or how different it is from most of us, what we think of as economic hardship, to having to literally walk 10 miles to get muddy water that's filled with disease because that's the only water you have access to. And then to be drinking that water and watching your kids drink that water if you have kids. And and knowing I don't have the medicines to fix the illnesses they're going to get from this only water that we have. You know, it, it just, it helps put things in perspective. Again, I'm not trying to minimize anything that we're experiencing here because I know things are tight. I'm just trying to say one of the most helpful things you can do to become more content when you don't have cable, to become more content when money's really tough, to become more content when you're eating rice, bread. One of the things that helps is to realize there's a lot of folks around the world who are experiencing extreme poverty, extreme poverty. And, and, and also, when you begin to go to some of these places, there, around the world, there's very few lazy poor people around the world because they die. I see a lot of heads nodding. It's true. There, there, and, and so what happens is sometimes when you encounter extreme poverty, you see incredibly industrious people. And sometimes if they just have $50, they can turn that $50 into a little micro-enterprise. And they can break out of the cycle of poverty. And so not only do you experience, experience, okay, some people have it really bad, you also experience what people can do with very little. And you see the difference it can make. In fact, that story that Tim told, the, the, the ending on that was this woman got a little bit of assistance and she was able to break out of that cycle of poverty with just a little bit of help. She just needed a little boost. So, so it helps these types of things. Experiencing it firsthand helps us to, to, to get things in proper perspective. 
Here's a great quote from a guy named John Ortberg. I've been quoting him a lot lately. He's got a lot of good things to say. He says this, The very affluence that I am tempted to be secretly proud of, it becomes embarrassing in the presence of need. I don't look at that perspective very often because the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, our hearts are deceitful about things, and we need things that are going to break us out of the perspective that we sometimes hold. In the Bible times, most people were extremely poor by our standards. And most of us, we've never held a baby that is starving to death. We've never locked eyes with a parent who can't afford a $10 shot that could save their kid from going blind. You know, most of us have not seen that, and so to have perspective eye-openers like that is, is so important. For me... One visit is worth more than 10,000 sermons. It's worth more than 10,000 heart-wrenching videos. There's something about experiencing it firsthand. And I know that's challenging. I know it's challenging. But if you want to become more content, I would encourage, find a way to make it happen. Even if it's a, okay, it's going to take us three years, but we're going to make it happen. I think this is an every American thing. I don't say a whole lot of every American things. I think this is an every American thing. Find some way. I mean, we have some partners. We'd love, love for you to come along with us. If you come to Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez, you won't be holding a dying baby, but actually at there you'll be seeing what can happen when Christians come together where there's dying babies. And you'll see kids that are getting an education, and you'll see kids who are happy, and you'll see kids who are getting food. And you'll be, you know, you'll be able to see around them a situation that's very different. Um, we've got Ryan and Melissa who are serving in Haiti, members of ours who are down there, and I'm sure they would love for people to come and schedule a visit with them. Um, Mary Lochner, who goes here at our church, she, uh, she serves on the board of Covenant World Relief. They'll take you all around the world. India, you know, Africa. You know, and, and as a church, we would love to help too. If you, if you said something is stirring in my heart, we don't have the money to make it work, let's talk and let's come up with a plan. And we'll figure out, you know, how we can make that happen. But I, I would say this is an every American thing. An every American thing. Try to find a way. And there's places in America, Pine Ridge, you know, Indian Reservation, there's, other, there's different places you can go to where you can experience it firsthand. I think it's so powerful. Now, here's a, a third piece I want to in, in, introduce here as well. In fact, my, my original thought coming into this message was going to be just number two. I, that was going to be our whole point. Just encourage people to go experience it firsthand. But then it hit me, number one, oh yeah, we should pray for new hearts and new minds. And then, as I was wrestling with this material... I felt, you know what, number three would really be good, too, for people. We all need this. Number three says, include a Zacchaeus in your inner circle. The first two are more self-explanatory. Let me spend a little bit of time explaining what I mean by this, if you don't already know. Include a Zacchaeus in your inner circle. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's take a look at a contrast here between one rich guy and another rich guy. Zacchaeus will be the second rich guy we look at. The first guy is a guy we pick on all the time. He's, he isn't given a name. Just call him a ruler. And this is out of Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one free today. Uh, we keep a stack of them there on the back table. Please just take one. Here's what it says. A, a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, You know the commandments. Uh, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich man said, Hey, I've kept these things from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to the guy, one thing you still lack, sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Let's continue the second part of this. When the rich man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. 
Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Remember those of you, 37,000 and above, this is us. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, who can be saved? Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. May I suggest that most of us, if, if you've been a Christian for two or more years, most of us have people like this in our life. We have moral moderates in our lives. Most of us have friends who are moral moderates. People who say, I, I, Christians who would say, I want to inherit eternal life. I don't cheat on my spouse. I haven't killed anybody recently and don't plan on it. I don't rob banks and I send Mother's Day cards, you know, in honor of Mother's Day. And, and, and so we know people like this, moral moderates. But moral moderates who, if Jesus said, okay, sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me, be, whoa, I'm going to go away sad on that one. Instead of being able to just say, you bet, you bet, God. A lot of us are surrounded by moral moderates. Now, let me contrast the moral moderates, which all of us, if you're, if you're Christians, you know, two to three years in, you're going to have some people like this that you know. Let's contrast that rich guy with Zacchaeus. And the reason I'm going to contrast that rich guy with Zacchaeus is because the Bible contrasts that rich guy with Zacchaeus. We were just looking in Luke 18. Let's just turn to the next time Jesus talks with a rich guy. Luke 19. These two, there's a, this is not coincidental that these two are, are next to each other. Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was what? Rich. So they're both rich guys. And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran, right, uh, ran on ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's hard not to sing that song if you grew up in Sunday schools across the country. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down, received him what? Joyfully, remember that word, received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they grumbled. They, Jesus went into the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Behold, here's the half of my goods. If I'm reading this correctly, it is as in, here it is, God, I'm pushing it in right in front of you, the half of my goods. I'm giving this to the poor right here, right now. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house, for he is also a son of Abraham. Now, there are all kinds of contrasts here. There's a reason why we come back to some of these passages more than once. There is so much rich stuff here in this, in this passage. We could spend a lot of time on it. And a lot of it exists in, con in contrast. The other rich guy was the moral moderate. People looked at him and they would have said, this is a guy that's living by the Bible's code of, of conduct. They looked at Zacchaeus and they said, he's not. So there's that contrast right there. Um, Zacchaeus would have been a scorned person. The, uh, the other rich man, another contrast, the other rich man led with a question about eternal life. G Zacchaeus, 
we see led with an earthly response. We see that the rich moral moderate was interested about what he could get. How do I inherit eternal life? Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus, and he gratefully responded without even being asked. So there's all these contrasts, but the one I want us to zero in on is that we have two rich guys. One is asked to surrender everything but doesn't. One isn't asked to surrender anything and does. And he surrenders actually more than you would expect. I don't claim to be an uh, expert in rabbinic law, but one of my sources said that rabbis actually would discourage people from giving more than 20%. And so here is, is Zacchaeus offering up more than that. And in contrast to the moral moderate who didn't follow Jesus, who went away sad, how did Zacchaeus receive Jesus? What did it say? Joyfully. There was a joyful reception of, of Jesus. If you want to be more content, get some Zacchaeuses in your inner circle. People who joyfully have said, God, here is my all, because my all isn't even worth comparing to what you've already given me. And, and what I think of is going to be the best life for me. It is not even comparable with the life that you've got. I'm going to trust you. I'm all in on this. Find some people like that who have found in Christ something so valuable that they will joyfully pray, pay any price for it. Crazy people like Ryan and Melissa Alberts who gave up a comfortable life because they felt God said, come and join us in Haiti for a couple years. You know, a little harder to get around them, but get on their blog. Listen to how they say, talk and how they think. Crazy people like Lauren and Wendy Anderson who visited Emmanuel Children's Home, felt God saying, come back and stay, and they're still there. And I don't remember how long ago it was. A long time ago. Find, how long was it? Over 10 years. Over 10 years ago. You know, find people like this who, who have, have said to God, God, I'm willing, not just said, but have demonstrated, it's, it's all yours, God. It's all yours. Who, who, and who are joyful about that. You can find bitter people. Oh, man. I, you should see how much I give to church. I can't believe you know, Or whatever. You know, people who are bitter about what God asks. Find the joyful people. They're rare. They're rare. This is why we, don't, we have to look for them. But find people who joyfully have given up. You know, whatever God asks. Because they know Godly's contentment is great gain. To be following God, it's great gain. Find people like that that could be in your inner circle. And they might be, you might be emailing them because they're far away, or they might be here, you know, doing something. But find those types of friends who are filled with joy-filled passion to go wherever God leads, do whatever God asks. Friends who are content with whatever God says because they know that's how you take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends like that will change your life. Um, Here's a quote. I was reading some different commentary on these different passages that I looked at. And here's a, a great, uh, great quote from a book called Jesus and the Gospels, a book I've recommended before. And they're, they're commenting on the rich young ruler. And it, it says this. I couldn't agree more. If wealth ever stands in the way of our wholehearted allegiance to Christ, then we must divest ourselves of it. That Jesus did not command his followers to sell their possessions gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. That's good. Basically, in a nutshell, he's saying, 
Jesus didn't say to every Christian, sell all you have and follow me. Jesus didn't. And the only people that are relieved by that are the people who Jesus would say to them, sell everything and follow me. So if you find yourself relieved that Jesus doesn't say that to all his followers, you know, maybe you should have a season of simplicity. Just a thought. All right, so, so here are things that I, I feel would be helpful. Do you, do you have a Zacchaeus in your inner circle? Have you found some, someone who has found something in Christ worth, in, worth losing everything to gain? If you're surrounded by moral moderates, you're, you're, you're going to more and more buy into that idea, that paradigm. So pray for a new heart and mind. Experience firsthand poverty, even if it takes you, if it's a goal, it's going to take a number of years to get there. And then find those rare people who have done it. They've actually pushed the chips to the middle of the table and find how you can get them to rub off on you. And if you do that, you're going to find something pretty amazing. Um, closing story here. When I, I was a country kid, and, and you know, country kids, you only have so many options about what to do when you're not doing chores. And, and a couple miles from our house, there's a river. And so a lot of the summers, um, I'd go down, and me and my buddies, we'd go down and we'd fish in the river. And there were certain fish that when we'd catch them, we were told you can't throw them back in because they're fish you're not supposed to throw back in. And so you catch those fish and you throw them on the shore. And I'll admit, I'm, I'm man enough to admit that it was hard for me to see the fish, you know, suffering on, on the shore, gasping for, you know, breath. That was, that was a little hard for me. And, and I think about that fish, and if I would try to make it more content with material things, that's not going to work. You know, I could, I could give it, here's a million dollars. Fish is like, you know. Uh, here, here's some fish food. Fish is like, you know. You could throw any material comfort at that fish on the shore. Is the fish going to become more content? No, because the fish was destined, designed, created to swim. You know, and, and there's so many of us in our society, we think, you know, I can live on the shore, but I can just kind of try to dip my tail in the water. And it doesn't work. You know, are you willing to go to God and say, I'm all in? You know, I'm going to trust what you say. I'm going to pray for that new heart and that new mind. I'm going to experience these experiences that take me way out of my comfort zone. I'm going to get some Zacchaeuses in my life who are joy-filled, mature followers, not angry, bitter, I'm doing it, so so should you kind of people. Because their calling may not be the same as yours. You do those three things. You're going to find yourself becoming more content. And eventually, you're going to find yourself swimming in that water. And there'll be times you flop up on the shore, and then the Zacchaeus says, hey, you're up on the shore. Come and join me back in the water. So if you're struggling with contentment, you know, hopefully these are three things that could be helpful. Let's, let's pray as we, we close here today. Um, would you please stand too? Let me pray a blessing as we finish our service here. Um, also, as you're standing up, just a heads up for next week. Next week, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9. So for those of you who like to read ahead, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we're going to be looking at one of the things that, that Jesus does say, well, the Bible consistently says to those who have means, um, and we'll be looking at that uh, from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. But let's pray as we go forth. Father, thank you that you desire for us to live with peace. You desire for us to have peace, and you desire to grant us that peace. So, Lord, we do come to you today, and we ask that you give us new hearts and minds that, that, that are oriented like a compass towards peace and the things that will bring us peace. And, Lord, we pray that as we navigate through a very unpeaceful world, we pray, Lord, that you'll keep us locked in there, 
Lord, I pray that you would enable every person, because I'd imagine all kinds of defensive thoughts are coming up as far as how in the world do I make that happen? How do I go and experience this stuff firsthand? Lord, I pray that, that if that's something that is true that you would have for them, that, Lord, you will put that in their heart and in their mind, and then, Lord, that you'll make a way where there apparently is no way. You can do that. And, Lord, then I pray also that you're going to help us to encounter these Zacchaeus-type folks. You know, uh, thank you for sending him in our midst. People like Sarah, right there in the, in the back with Sarah Wolf, who who said, "Okay, God, you're putting this thing of orphans on my heart. I don't know what this means, but I'm in. I'll do whatever you ask." You know, people like Tim and Emily Anderson. You know, who they say, "Okay, you call us to this ministry to these kids. We'll go live next to them because that will be more helpful to the ministry you've called us to." Lord, whatever it is, help us to. To, to take that, to, 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 to find these people who can help us, that can point us towards this more content life, the life that is truly life. So bless us with this kind of peace, Lord, and this kind of orientation as we go forth from this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.